Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. If you love God, prayer is simply two way conversation. And you don't use the these and the nows and whatever. Just use your voice. If you're from Alabama or whatever, use the whatever. If you're New York, use it. God understands. God understands all of that. And don't be kind of holy or something. Just be who you are. He loves to hear us being that way. The concept of prayer seems to be such a complicated thing for humans. Jesus made it look easy. It just seemed like conversations with his father. So why don't prayers you hear or say sound as natural as Jesus did? You hear people speaking in King James English or talking in ways that sound, well, weird. Well, maybe today's teaching by Pastor Mark will help you. He will be talking about every person's desire for a better, closer relationship with God. He'll be sharing about the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christ follower to help them communicate with and hear from God for wisdom in living their lives. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. He'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in Ephesians chapter 1 as he continues his message, praying for spiritual wisdom to know God better. the things I discovered in my life is that I need wisdom. And once in a while, a friend of yours will call or you run into somebody and you should never be ashamed for people that you know to say to them, I need you to pray for me. I need wisdom. Here's a decision I need to make. Well, here's what the Bible says. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God and give generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. So Paul knows that these people continue to need God's wisdom. And that's exactly what he's going to ask for. And it's a good thing for you. Don't be this like person. You know, very often when we meet people, even in church, how you doing? Oh, fine. But that's not what you said to your spouse that morning. I'm feeling terrible. I got to go to church again. I don't know what to do. We got this decision to make. I have no idea what to do with this decision. Well, it's good to ask God, but it's good to ask somebody else to pray for you to get wisdom. Amen? So Paul's going to do that. Watch what he does. It's so powerful because some of you need wisdom right here. Now watch what he does. Verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now watch why. So that you may know him, God, better. Now, they already knew him, but he says, there's more. So Paul is being very specific. Two things, spiritual revelation. It's like turning a light on. Oh, 
I get it. Spiritual revelation, imparting experiential knowledge of God. There's a big difference in knowing about God and knowing God personally and intimately. That intimacy is huge. It's crucial. So Paul says, I want you in the church. I know you know God. Now, many people know about God. You'll say to somebody, are you a Christian? Oh, I believe in God. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about a relationship that's experiential. I'm experiencing it. The knowledge of God, the understanding of God. Now, the next thing he asks for is right here. Spiritual wisdom. Once I understand who God is, Paul says, you need to put it into action. See, knowledge is useless unless the wisdom, which means the application of it. Put it in. Follow God. Have that experiential knowledge we have of God. See, I can't discern spiritual wisdom. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. Remember when Jesus said, I'm leaving you and the Holy Spirit's coming? One of the things the Holy Spirit will do, he'll guide you in every area of truth. So you have God's wisdom right here and a God that speaks to us. You'll see that. So we need the Holy Spirit who's that spirit of wisdom to open our eyes. That's where confusion in our lives comes. Now, when the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom, it opens our eyes because it's going to be always a different perspective. God sees from heaven differently than we see going back to heaven. He has perspective of the whole world. Sometimes we're just looking here. We're not even thinking of heaven. That's not even on our radar. We're just thinking how to get through another week, what it's going to look like at work, what's going to happen over here. And so when I get wisdom from God, it's always about eternal things. Now, it's practical as well. You need to buy a car, should I buy a used, should I buy a new, what do I do, how do I finance it, all those. Of course, it's practical. But the common sense thing is that when I get that wisdom, it's wisdom from God that helps me do life the way he wants us to do it. Now, notice again, look at the last line in verse 17. He says, I want you to have all of this. So one reason that you would know God better, you would know him, not just facts, but in a very personal way in your life. Now, anybody like key lime pie? Okay, good. I like key lime. I like pecan, pecan, whatever. Here you go. Now, I know women like chocolate. So how many of you ladies like chocolate cake? Good. How many of you guys? Okay, good, good. Now, chocolate cake is no good unless it's made with dark chocolate. See, the rest is useless. That watery down chocolate? doesn't help you at all. See, dark chocolate, I buy 85% dark chocolate. It's a little bitter, but you know what? It helps you remember. I take a piece of dark chocolate before I teach on the weekends. Now, if I have a bad weekend, it's because I forgot to take the chocolate. So I'm not kidding. This is scientific. It helps you think clear. Of course, the anointing might help once in a while. Yeah, right. All right. A key lime pie. Okay, how do you make a key lime pie? Well, you have to have that sweetened condensed milk. And then you have a couple egg yolks that you have. And of course, then as you begin playing with that, you have this crust on the bottom there. You make that little crust. And then you buy those little teeny key limes from Miami down in that area that are like $1.90 for a half a key lime. 
you know, pretty soon you're thinking, what am I making? And then, of course, you have to add a little of the whipped cream, and then you bake it for about eh, 15 minutes, and it's really good. Now, I'm not going to talk cake because I don't make cakes. I make pies. I make that kind of a pie. Now, let me ask you a question. Does that satisfy you looking at that? Well, I told you everything about it. You know all the facts. Does that satisfy you? Is there anything that would be better? (laughs) Somebody said to me after service, did you really eat that? I said, are you kidding? Of course I did. Now, what am I after? She's showing you the picture. Is the relationship many people have with God. They know about God. But they don't really know God. See, I can tell you the ingredients. But unless you experience it yourself. You really don't know key lime pie. Now there's a very amazing spiritual verse about it. It's found in Psalm 34.8. Taste and see. Woo! That the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. See, you can raise your children to know about God. But every child has to experience God for themselves. This church can be filled with people who believe in God. But unless you experience him personally, you'll never, ever get the benefits of really knowing God. And that's our problem. That's what religion is. Oh, I know about God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. But they've never tasted. They've never personally experienced this amazing relationship with God. Think about this. You must experience God for yourself. Some of you here have never done that on our campuses. You just didn't understand it. But I hope that explanation, eating that crazy piece of key lime pie, would make something stir in your heart. Wow, I need to do better. I need to know God more. Well, that's exactly what Paul is talking about. Now, how do you do that? Well, you have to take time with God and allow him to give you that revelation. I can speak it to you, but it has to be personal for you. I don't know the wisdom you need from God, but God has them. So you have to trust him and have that daily relationship with him. Really knowing God personally means that I can hear him speak to my spirit. Now, King David was a man who loved God with his heart. And he wrote this verse. You don't have to write all these down. Again, if you had your notes, they're there, but you can if you like. Look what David says. Psalm 5.3. In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my requests before you, and I wait in expectation. This is a way to taste the key lime pie. This is a way to experience God in an intimate way. Four things. Number one, start our day by praying to God. See, if you talk about the key lime and never take your fork up, forget it. 
You have to taste and see that he's good. It starts by praying to God in the morning. Now, if you're not a morning person, you make it the afternoon or whatever. But to me, that challenges me. Second, notice what David says. God hears our prayers. Anybody glad that God hears our prayers? (laughs) Yeah, you have to know that. So much so that, number three, expect God to answer our prayers. Notice what David says. I wait in expectation. That's that hope again. It's going to happen. Now, you say, well, Pastor Mark, how does God speak to us? What does he do? Well, he gives us three things. Yes, no, and the one we hate, wait. He, that's the way he answers us. But he will answer us. And so if you want to move to the next place, this is one of the ways you can do it, to know God in an intimate way. Talking about a key lime pie, making one, but never tasting it personally, is useless. It will not change your life. Listen, to, I heard this from a pastor recently. I thought it was, it's so basic, but it's so classic. Who we love, we talk to. I love you, Lord. Well, are you praying? Then you need to talk to him. If you're married, if you're still married, you're talking to your spouse. Why? Because you love them. That's a powerful thing. If you love God, prayer is simply two-way conversation. And you don't use the these and the nows and whatever. Just use your voice. If you're from Alabama or whatever, use the game, whatever. If you're New York, use it. God understands. God understands all of that. And don't be kind of holy or something. Just be who you are. He loves to hear us being that way. Can I remind you, when people pray, things happen. When people don't pray, things don't happen. You say, Pastor Mark, that's not biblical. Really? You have not because you ask not. That's 100% biblical. Next, prayer changes things and it changes me. Now, Paul's going to give us three things to help us know God better, more personal. Three things. Hope, riches, and the third one, power. Here we go. Verse 18. I pray, notice, still a prayer, that the eyes of your heart about the people may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Now, most people think, The eyes of our heart, you say, Pastor Mark, I didn't know my heart had eyes. It's not talking about your physical heart. It's talking about your spiritual heart. Now, that heart, we know from the Old Testament is this. The Bible tells us that our heart is the real you, the real me. It's the center of my mind, my will, and emotion. Now, that my eyes would be open, that I could see what that looked like. Notice Solomon, David's son, wrote this. Look at Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart. Guard your mind, your will, your emotions. Above all else. For it determines the course of your life. If you want to write it down, this is the way I teach it. Our heart is the control center where all the decisions of life are made. Now, if my heart... Includes my mind, will, and emotion. What changes my mind? The word of God. 
it renews my mind. It helps me to think in the right way because that's God's thinking. This is God's mind to us. Now, when God's light is shining in our lives, it's another reminder of his perspective of what's happening in life. Now, the first thing that Paul's talking about, the hope to which you were called to, what's the first thing that God called you to? Salvation. Salvation. So you're saved today because God called you to salvation and you accepted that amazing invitation. Notice he said the hope. The world defines hope very different than God defines hope. You understand, I'll just talk to the guys for a second. Of course, a lot of gals like it too. The uh, NFL is going to have what coming up? The draft. Now, of course, all of you are going to watch it, but you're still going to come to church. Now, that was with hope I said that. (laughs) Well, here's the way the world looks at hope. I hope the Cleveland Browns finally can pick a quarterback that can play. Now, I'm not a Browns fan, but I just want, that's the way they hope. I hope. What chance is that going to happen? Well, if you look at the past, there ain't no chance that's going to happen. They're going to be zero for 58 or something again. Now, that is not the way God looks. Well, I really hope it really happens. That's not the way God does. Here's the definition you want to write. Write it down right now. You need to remember this. Hope, biblically, is confident expectation to anticipate with pleasure. Hope has the future in mind. It is going to happen. I don't know when, but it's going to happen. I'm not hoping it's going to happen. I'm always happens. No, it's going to happen, and it's always focused on our future, on our future. When you think of that, just remember, we, as Christians, have hope. Jesus, the Bible says, is the hope of the world. He's the hope of the world. Now, an unbeliever has no biblical hope at all. See, for the believer, what is my ultimate hope from God? That's going to happen, but we haven't seen it yet. What's my ultimate goal? Where is this going to happen? What's going to happen to me that gives me hope even for today? What's going to happen? Where am I going? Anybody going to heaven? Okay, right now. Hear the little sermon about a boy. The teacher talked about hope. And the little boy said, wow, heaven, that's really great. And uh, he said, how many kids want to go? And the whole class raised his hand, except one kid. And he said, what's wrong with you? You don't want to go to heaven? No, I thought you were getting the bus going today. I'm not interested in heaven right now. <laughs> all right, let me ask you a question again. How many want to go to heaven? Come on, forget the bus. We all want to go to heaven. Well, I hope I make it to heaven. No, when you became a Christian, what did God do? Sealed you. In the future, that's where we're going. Now, that affects how I live here. Because that's all settled. It's all finished. For the unbeliever, no hope of heaven. No hope of heaven. Our world is filled with people that simply have no hope. One day, Jesus spoke to a very religious man. His name was Nicodemus. He had put his hope in the rules and regulations of the Jewish religion. But he came to Jesus and he basically said to him, you're you're amazing. And Jesus didn't even pay attention to that. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see. See, his eyes hadn't been opened yet. 
No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. What Jesus was saying is this. Understand, when a person is born again, repents, put their trust in Jesus, they immediately have hope. Because now they know where they're going. I am going to see the kingdom of God in heaven. Why? Because I'm born again. I repented. I put my trust in Jesus Christ. I'm not going because I'm good enough. My hope is not in me. It's in what Jesus did on the cross. So that confident expectation to going to heaven gives me a life, even though it's full with trouble, and our world is, our lives are, the ultimate is heaven. I'm going to be there. I'm going to get a new body. Some of you are going to get hair for the first time in a long time. <laughs> Ladies, you won't have any more stuff to put on your skin that never works anyway, no matter what you buy <laughs> and what you pay. I mean, sometimes we can't, I can't get into the bathroom for the 58. I, what? A, don't tell my wife. All the things are there. In heaven, you're going to get baby skin, just like a baby's bottom, right there. Just bad, beautiful, beautiful. Anybody excited about that? Good, good. And I'll finally have some height. All right, now let's move on. My ultimate living hope is Jesus Christ. My hope is not built in this world. It's not built in religion. Jesus is coming back. And we're going to spend eternity with him. Amen. Now, look at verse 18 again. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. God's just opened some of your eyes this morning. In order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Here's the second one Paul prays for. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his people. Now, that's complicated. Took me a while. Basically, commentators have two pictures. I'm just going to give you the one I think makes sense because of the wording. We learn that as a Christian, one of those nine amazing gifts God gives us, I have an inheritance. I just told you about the inheritance. We're going to heaven. We're sons and daughters of God. When we get to heaven, everything is new. Our body's new. Everything's good. It's just amazing. We are going to receive everything. We don't all have it now, but we will in heaven. We're going to have that inheritance forever. But notice what this says. I'm going to read it to you in the New Living. His holy people who are his God's rich and glorious inheritance. What does that mean? It means this. By the way, who's the richest person in all the world? In all the universe, who's the richest person? God is. You're a little slow on that one. You think like he's declaring bankruptcy or something? No. The Bible says that everything is his. The cattle, everything is his. Now, in this world, of course, you know, the Amazon guy is the richest one down here. But that ain't going to heaven. So the richest one in all the world is God. Now, think about this. What that verse says is, you, as an individual, when you go to heaven, you're part of God's wealth. How can I be part of God's wealth when he owns everything? Me? Uno me? That's exactly what this verse says. Pastor Mark, in his teaching today, reminded you about God's desire for you to have more of his wisdom and revelation, which will give you more knowledge of God and enable you to put that knowledge into action. Using the Psalms, Pastor Mark gave you instructions on what you can do every day to foster a relationship with God and get closer to him. 
Lessons for Living is the teaching ministry of Pastor Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. We have multiple campuses to reach those living in Melbourne, Sebastian, and Vieira. All campuses meet each weekend and on Wednesdays to spend time collectively raising our voices in worship to our Most High God and studying the truth and blessings found in His Word. For more information, directions, and service times, visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com and click on the church link at the bottom of the page. Pastor Mark's next message will be the wrap-up of the teaching, Praying for Spiritual Wisdom to Know God Better. Pastor Mark will talk more about the role of the Holy Spirit in your life and how he helps you to become a more mature follower of Christ. You'll also learn about the unique position the Christian has in relationship to God the Father and Jesus. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Mark continues teaching through this series, Blessed. That's next time on Lessons for Living. In a hurting world, a new hope he is given.